Welcome to Decisive Point, a U.S. Army War College Press production featuring distinguished authors and contributors who get to the heart of the matter in national security affairs. Decisive Point welcomes three U.S. Army War College faculty members, authors of Diverging Interests, U.S. Strategy in the Middle East, featured in Parameters Winter 2020-2021 issue. Dr. Christopher Bolin is a professor of Middle East Security Studies at the Strategic Studies Institute. Colonel Jared Harper, Ph.D., is the Director of Regional Studies. And Dr. Joel Hillison is a professor of National Security Studies. In your article, you argue the relevance of four major players in the Middle East and Eastern Mediterranean regions, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, Iran, and Israel. Tell us more about why these nations should be the primary foci of the U.S. policy in the Middle East. I'll start briefly and offer some observations on Iran, Saudi Arabia. Jared will discuss Israel, and then Joel will kind of offer his observations on Turkey. And first and foremost, I'd say the U.S. has an interest in limiting the scope and scale of Iran's civil nuclear program and preventing Iran from developing a nuclear weapon. Now, unfortunately, the Iranians have responded to President Trump's maximum pressure campaign and the reimposition of U.S. sanctions by seeking to create leverage of their own. And these steps ultimately have placed Iran closer to the capability of producing a nuclear weapon. So if these steps aren't quickly reversed, other regional states are going to feel pressure to develop their own indigenous nuclear programs. And this has the potential to lead to a regional nuclear arms race, which is certainly not in U.S. interest. Beyond nuclear issues, regional and international leaders also have a shared interest in curbing and deterring Iran's other problematic behaviors. These include Iran's advanced ballistic missile and drone programs, which have been used to actually strike and attack Saudi oil facilities, as well as U.S. troops operating in Iraq recently. So additionally, Iran offers financial and military support to regional proxies and Shia militias that directly threaten U.S. allies in Lebanon. Iraq, in Yemen, and in Israel. And finally, I'd say Iran's growing capabilities in cyber and information war are a real concern to regional and international leaders alike. So U.S. policymakers really need to find a way to forge a regional approach that deters and curbs all of these troubling and destabilizing Iranian activities. Now, in terms of Saudi Arabia, the U.S. relationship is really long overdue a recalibration. And if you've paid any attention to events here, President Biden and his advisors have made it clear that they're intend to do exactly that. And there are a couple reasons for this. First, the shale revolution here in the U.S. has really upended traditional global energy markets. The U.S. is now the world's top oil producer, is no longer dependent on Middle Eastern oil, and consequently, we have a newfound freedom of maneuver in our relationship with Riyadh. Secondly, in terms of the global fight against terrorism, Saudi Arabia is an important but an uncertain partner. But it's also important to admit that they've played a central role in spreading a reactionary and violent Wahhabi version of Islamic theology that continues to fuel Sunni jihadist terrorist groups throughout the region and beyond. And then finally, with respect to Saudi Arabia, its effective leader, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, while he's been advocating important and necessary economic reforms at home, has also proved himself to be a dangerous and reckless leader in terms of regional actions. And just two quick examples. The first is his decision to invade Yemen in 2015, and it's created essentially the world's worst humanitarian disaster now. 
is also personally responsible for ordering the murder of Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi in Turkey in 2018. So forging a productive relationship with this young but unsteady Saudi leader is going to be a critical challenge. And now I think Jared will offer his thoughts on Israel. Thanks, Chris. So the the U.S.-Israeli relationship is important, but it's also challenging because it has both an American domestic political aspect as well as complicated regional foreign policy aspect. Israel is a democratic state, has overlapping values and interests with the U.S. Not all their interests are necessarily parallel with ours, and their small size and history leads them to view their security with a much more pressing short-term lens than we do on this side of the Atlantic. Israel today is more secure than it's ever been before, but it definitely sees itself facing an increasingly serious threat from Iran. This has led them to pursue an aggressive forward defense strategy in Lebanon, Syria, and even most recently, apparently in Iraq, to strike and attempt to disrupt Iranian proxies. The good news is that Israel now benefits from increasingly positive relationships with like-minded Sunni Arab states, particularly those in the Gulf, who see Iran as the main challenge. We've most recently seen this manifest itself with the normalization of ties with the UAE, Bahrain, and other regional states. Now, we've had back-channel security ties between Israel and these states for a number of years, but making them official is an important step forward, and it will be interesting to see if Saudi Arabia joins the Abraham Accords in the future. Israel is a key player in the region. It's an important partner for the U.S., but one with its own goals and a proven track record of acting independently and decisively to protect its interests. And now I'll pass it over to Joel. Yeah, thanks, Jared. So Turkey is important for three reasons. Its size, location, and its ability to help or hinder the U.S. pursuit of its interests in the region. Turkey's a big country, 82 million people, the second largest army in NATO. We also have a treaty obligation under Article 5 of the Washington Treaty for the security of Turkey. And, And they've been an ally since 1952. Turkey's also in a strategic location, you know, at the mouth of Black Sea, bridging Europe and Asia. It borders Russia, Iraq, Iran, Syria. And so it can provide an important location for the United States to project influence and power in the region. Under Erdogan, Turkey has become increasingly authoritarian. As Turkey increasingly seeks to pursue greater influence in the region, stretching really from the Balkans to Africa to the Middle East. And it has troops spread throughout in Syria, Libya, Somalia, Qatar. It's increasingly important that the U.S. calibrate its relationship with Turkey, especially its relationship with other countries like Iran, where Turkey has sometimes been accused of helping Iran skirt U.S. sanctions. What are your chief recommendations for the Biden administration when they confront and engage the new emerging order in the Middle East? U.S. policymakers are going to have to just be sensitive to these emerging regional dynamics. So it's really going to call for a very agile, thoughtful U.S. policy. And specifically in terms of the Arab Gulf, I mean, U.S. policymakers are just going to have to find creative ways to engage leaders in both Riyadh and Tehran and Ankara, as well as in Tel Aviv, to reduce regional tension. The U.S. and Iran really need to take mutual steps to return to the terms of the Iran nuclear deal that was negotiated in 2015. For the U.S., this means lifting some or all of the sanctions imposed by the U.S. after the withdrawal from the Iran nuclear deal. For Iran, this means reversing recent steps taken in violation of the deal that, while they're reversible, still have placed Iran closer to the capacity to produce a nuclear weapon. 
Uh, second, I think we're going to need to engage all of our regional allies in very tough discussions on what actions they would be willing to take in exchange for concrete Iranian actions to de-escalate regional tensions. Uh, these might well include regional negotiations aimed at establishing cooperation on issues of mutual concern, like COVID, for instance, could involve forging regional arms control agreements that improve transparency and reduce the prospect for unintentional confrontation. And it could involve conducting joint maritime patrols with all parties in the region to secure international passage through the Strait of Hormuz. Thirdly, I think U.S. policymakers are going to need to restructure and ultimately reduce America's regional military posture. But they're going to have to do it in a way that simultaneously reassures traditional Arab allies as well as Israel, while deterring Iran from taking steps that genuinely threaten regional stability. Jared has some observations he'd like to offer as well. It will be interesting to see how the Biden administration's standpoint on Israel's relationship with the Palestinians impacts the path forward with the Israeli government. And progress on that front is still important, despite the alignment of regional states against Iran that has brought them together recently. Normalization of ties with regional states is an important step forward, and the U.S. should continue to expand upon this. There's been talk of Oman being next, and Saudi Arabia is potentially on the horizon. The recent move by the Trump administration before the handover to the Biden administration to bring Israel into coverage by Central Command is probably a positive step, but we have to be clear-eyed. Increasing multilateral ties, both security and otherwise, is important, but I don't think anything like a Middle Eastern version of NATO is anywhere on the horizon. It will be important to maintain close security coordination with Israel. Israel's forward defense strategy has important ramifications. For example, recent drone strikes against Iranian proxies in Iran, if they were from it, Israel, potentially put U.S. forces there at risk. We have to be careful that preemptive Israeli action doesn't draw the U.S. into an unanticipated regional confrontation or that it doesn't compromise our relationship with other regional states. Turkey can have an important impact on the recommendations made by both Chris and Jared. And in just one example, the U.S. does return to the JCPOA. This can help Turkey economically, in fact, might help mend relations between the United States and Turkey. But I guess my chief message to the administration would be that it's better to keep Turkey as a difficult ally than to alienate. President Biden has already signaled a tougher approach to Turkey, and I think that's appropriate. But I think we still need to continue to cooperate in those areas where our interests converge. You know, a strong NATO, a stable Iraq, countering ISIS, and also deterring Russian aggression in the region. At the same token, I think the U.S. has to be realistic about Turkey's aspirations, some of its legitimate security concerns. The U.S. needs to keep close ties militarily with Turkey under the NATO framework while at the same time working behind the scenes to put pressure on Erdogan to behave more responsibly, not only as an ally, but also to live up to Turkey's democratic responsibilities. All great points, gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for another episode of Decisive Point. 